Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Well, today we have indeed arrived at the fourth and final Sunday of Advent, and we will hear today from our fourth and final prophet of Advent, and that is the prophet Micah. It's from Micah that we learn where the word enters the world. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. Micah the prophet. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. That means that he's living and ministering 700 years before Christ. Micah's poems, there's eight chapters in his book. Micah's poems are typical of the Hebrew prophets of that time. Predominantly warnings of judgment, but with flashes of hope. Micah knows, he prophesies it, that Judah is headed into captivity and exile in Babylon. But he knows something else. He knows where Messiah will be born. He doesn't know when, but he knows where. Bethlehem. Bethlehem of Ephrathah. Bethlehem first appears in the Bible as the place where Rachel, the beloved wife of Jacob, dies in childbirth. It's Bethlehem of Ephrathah. Bethlehem of the ash heap. That's what Ephrathah means. Because it's a place of sorrow. Rachel's tomb, to this day, is just outside of Bethlehem. I see it every time I go into Bethlehem. Bethlehem has another significance though other than where the tomb of Rachel is its more famous and greater perhaps significance is that it's the tiny village that was the birthplace of King David the eighth and youngest of Jesse's sons that's where David son of Jesse who would become Israel's greatest king was born and so for the prophet Micah to speak of a future righteous ruler that will be born in Bethlehem. Now understand, King David's been dead 300 years. So that belongs to the 
times of old. But here Micah is speaking of a righteous ruler that will be born in Bethlehem. It might be something a little bit like someone anticipating, saying that a great president will arise in America and he'll be born in a log cabin in Kentucky. That's how they would hear that. So in a dark time, the word of Bethlehem evokes glimmers of hope. To a beleaguered people, Micah says, your hope will be born in Bethlehem. The prophet says that this one born in Bethlehem comes from the ancient of days. Well, yes, he's, he's the son of David. That's 300 years back. But he's the seed of Abraham. That's 1,000 years back. But oh, this one, this one is more ancient than even Micah knows. For this one is the son of man who comes forth from the ancient of days. Micah says he will be a good shepherd. He will shepherd and feed his flock. This is instead of a king because what they've had mostly are kings who cling to power for the sake of their own self-interest. But this king, this one that will be born in Bethlehem, he will be different. He'll be a good shepherd and he will be one of peace. Most messiahs are expected to be war heroes, but not this one. This one is going to bring a revolution because messiahs do. But he's going to bring a revolutionary revolution. <laughs> Most revolutions involve violence inflicted upon the enemy. Thus, they are rather conventional because when all is said and done, it's meet the new boss, same as the old boss. This revolutionary will be a revolutionary revolutionary because his kingdom is going to come not by war but by peace. That's the prophecy. Now, 700 years later, mm -hmm, the Bible tells a long story. 700 years after Micah's Bethlehem prophecy, in Nazareth, there is a devout Jewish girl. She's named after the older sister of Moses, Miriam. We know her as Mary. And she is betrothed to Joseph. But she's found to be with child. By the Holy Spirit. Ah. The virgin shall conceive. And bring forth one that the government will be upon his shoulders. Now. Joseph. Mary's fiance is quite alarmed and troubled. By this turn of events. Yet an angel comes to Joseph and says fear not. What do angels always say? Fear not. Fear not, Joseph. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son. It's going to be a boy. She shall bring forth his son, and you shall name him Yahshua. Yahweh saves. Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. 
And so, Messiah will be born in Nazareth? That's where Joseph and Mary are. Mary is carrying Jesus in her womb in Nazareth. So Messiah will be born in Nazareth, right? Wrong. Way off in Rome, there's an emperor. And August Caesar, so said the Senate. Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus gets it in his head that he wants an imperial census. And in the province of Judea, because there's such an ancient people there, he wants, he wants the clans and families to register in their ancestral homes. Well, this creates an enormous inconvenience for Joseph and Mary who are in Nazareth a hundred miles from Bethlehem. But you know, the emperor's going to have what the emperor wants. And so off they set. Long, hard journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They get there just in time because Mary's gone into labor. But there is no room in the inn. And so they find shelter in a livestock cave. And that's where Jesus is born. And wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. That sounds more romantic than in a feeding trough, but that's what it is. They were making do in a difficult situation. A baby born in a livestock cave and then laid in one of the mangers there as a crib. This is where the word comes into the world. Bethlehem, where the word made flesh was born. And thus Bethlehem has great honor. But Bethlehem is also a place of many contradictions. It's the house of bread, Beit Lacham, house of bread. But it's also Beit Lacham of Ephrathah, of the ash sheep. So it's the house of bread right by the ash sheep. It's a place of provision, but it's also a place of great loss. It's a place of joy, but it's also a place of sorrow. It's a place both of life and death. David was born there. Rachel died there. Thus Bethlehem is a place both of renown and sorrow, promise and tragedy. Bethlehem contains a promise, Micah's prophecy that Messiah would be born there. But at the hour of Messiah's birth in Bethlehem, Bethlehem has no room for Messiah. Bethlehem is where the shepherds and the magi will find the Christ child, but Bethlehem is also the target for King Herod's death squads and the massacre of the innocents. Truly, does the Christmas carol say of Bethlehem, the hopes and fears, hopes and fears, hopes and fears of all the years are met 
in thee tonight. I've been to Bethlehem more than 20 times. I'm always deeply moved when I'm there. I mean, I know the significance of the place. You feel it. I have Palestinian Christian friends who live there. I especially love praying in the ancient church of the nativity that venerates the birth site of Christ. Down below the church, there's this grotto with a silver star of 14 points and it's marks in the traditional birthplace of Jesus. And the church of the nativity is the oldest church there is. The oldest church still in use. It's not in ruins, it's still in use. It's the oldest one, the church of the nativity. Now, when we spend the night there, or spend several nights there sometimes, uh, we always stay real close to Manger Square, just right there. I like that so I can get up in the morning, get up early, and just go to the church of the nativity. You know, to go in, they, the, the doorway's only about that tight. They, they make everybody be humble to go in there. You have to bow. There's no other way to get in. <laughs> and I like to go there early. That's before all the buses of pilgrims get there. And you can kind of have the place to yourself. I, I like going there. I like praying there. On my writing desk, where I write all my books, I have a beautiful cross icon from one of the Olivewood stores in Bethlehem. It's where, in fact, I've got most of my icons. It's there in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, for me, is a place where I have found peace and beauty. But I've also seen ugly separation walls and rubber bullets and tear gas canisters littering the streets of Bethlehem. Situated on the fault line of one of the world's most intractable conflicts, Bethlehem lies at the intersection of iconic beauty and painful reality. The Christmas carol about Bethlehem really is true. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The world as it is, with its hopes and fears and its contradictions and conflicts, is precisely where the word enters the world. Jesus was not born in a romantic, sentimental, nativity snow globe. Jesus was born in a livestock cave among an oppressed, occupied people suffering under the boot of the Roman Empire. Now, at that time, if you were a Herodian or if you were in some way connected, you know, you had high connections with King Herod and his cronies as they collude with Rome, life could be pretty sweet. Which is another way of saying, if you were rich and wealthy, it wasn't that bad. I'm going to tell you, Joseph and Mary were neither rich nor wealthy. Life is hard for them. Jesus is born into a world as the Savior of the world because the world needs saving. God did not send his son into the world because the world was just fine and thought he might pay a visit, a little vacation, a little tourism, see how the humans are doing. 
No, the world was a mess, but God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus enters the world in a place where it is evident that the world needs saving. Amen. That's the backdrop for the Christmas story. I guess we'll continue at Christmas Eve when we get the camels and all that here. But what about you? What about right now? Where does the saving word into your life? Your life. Where does the word that saves into your life? Well, the word always enters the world at a Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the place where hope and promise intersect with sorrow and distress. Bethlehem is always near an Ephrathah. Bethlehem, house of bread, is always right next door to the ash heap. So don't be ashamed to wait at the ash heap. You got an ash heap? I have a literal ash heap. I have my wood stove down there where I do my writing. You know. After each use, I got to shovel out those ashes and I carry them. I got this little spot right here. I'll put the ashes out there. And I always think, I mean, I don't ever do it, but I don't think, well, here's the ash heap. But scripture says that those who sit at the ash heap, God will raise up to sit with the princes. The ash heap is the place where once, what once was glorious is now gone. It's just cold gray ashes. It's, it's a symbol of, seems like it's over. Seems like it's done. The ashes are your hopes and dreams that have gone up in smoke and turned to ashes, right? Well, let me tell you, don't be ashamed to wait near the ash heap. Bethlehem is right next door to Ephrathah. They're there. They're the same. Don't be ashamed to wait at the ash heap. Look, you don't have to be well-known or well-situated for the word to come to you. You know how the word works. The word flies under the radar. That's why the Magi almost missed it. They're reading the skies, you know ascertaining things that could not otherwise be known. And they know the king of the Jews is born, and so they go to venerate him and pay honor and homage and bring gifts and all of that. And where do they go? They go to Jerusalem, to a Herodian palace. They almost missed it. And they almost messed everything up, too. <laughs> no, Jesus is not born in Jerusalem in a Herodian palace. He's in Bethlehem, a little village by the ash heap. The word flies under the radar. You can be overlooked and on the fringe of it all, and still the word will find you. This is the story of the shepherds. They seem to be the least likely to be the first to know. You'd think it'd be a priest somewhere, someone important. Maybe a high priest. 
Maybe someone in the royal circle. The shepherds, you know, that's not the height of society. The shepherds seemed the least likely to be the first to know, but they were in the same country as Bethlehem, and so they were not forgotten by God. You may feel forgotten and overlooked, but just keep watching. Watch through the night. Watch. Just keep watching and waiting. Just keep watching. Just keep watching. Just keep watching. Just keep watching. Just keep waiting. And the angels will find you. The angels will find you. And they'll bring to you their message. Oh, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So, how many of you, how many of you, how many of you are expecting? We know that Megan and Jacob are expecting. How many of you are expecting? You say, oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't mean that kind of expecting. I mean expecting the word to enter your world with a saving way. In a sa- How many of you are expecting the word of God to enter your life in a saving way? In a Yeshua kind of way, a Jesus kind of way? Well, the word, I want to know. You've got to tell me. Because if you're not expecting... How many of you expecting the word to enter your world in a Jesus kind of saving way? Yes. Well, you have a due date, but you don't know when it is. That's up to heaven. You have a due date, but you don't know when it is. You don't know exactly when that word is coming. So hold on to hope. And pay attention to the, well, I'm going, to call her, I'm going to call her the Theotokos. You know about the Theotokos? That's how the Greek Orthodox speak of Mary. They give her a title. Theotokos means God-bearer. God-bearer. Because in her womb, the Logos, the Word of God, is made flesh through her flesh. And she's the Theotokos. The God-bearer, Mary. So Mary is both the unique mother of the only begotten Son of God and an archetype for all who are expecting the Word to enter their world. So Mary is, yeah, she's unique, but also an archetype, also a pattern. And so as we come to the end of Advent, I want to, I want to visit her song her Magnificat. This is what Miriam, Mary, Theotokos, God-bearer, this is what she sings as she's waiting for the word to enter the world. Luke chapter 1, verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with Favor on the lowliness of his servant. Don't be ashamed of your lowliness. God will have favor right there. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
Just wait in your lowliness and believe that your future is going to be blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy is for those who fear him perpetually, generation to generation to generation. Take God seriously. Don't just be cavalier with God and ignore God and God's kind of out there somewhere. Acknowledge in God we live and move and have our being. We come forth from God. It's him with whom we have to do. Take God seriously and God's mercy will be there for you. What you might call the wrath of God is simply the consequence of trying to live a life ignoring God. Be intentional about God. Draw near to God. Pay attention to God. Try to discern where God is at work in your life. Call that the fear of God and you will have mercy. You'll have a flow, a river of unending mercy in your life from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from the thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with, are you hungry? Are you hungry? He's filled the hungry, not the satiated, not the satisfied, the hungry with good things and set the rich away empty. That's why I, that's why I say you need to find your ash heap. You need to find where you're deprived, where you're broken, where you're undone. Where you're at loss, where you're in pain, where you're in sorrow. That place, that's the ash sheep. Find that place. Sit there. Don't come to God and say, God, everything's just perfect in my life. And so, you know, I'm not paying that much attention to what you might be doing because I'm satisfied. No, no. You'll be sent away empty. Find the ash sheep where the dreams haven't come true, where you still feel pain, where you know there's loss. Find that place and wait there. Sit there. And God will come there to your Ephrathah and lift you up. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, where does the word enter the world? At Bethlehem of Ephrathah, the little village where the house of bread is next door to the ash heap. The word enters the world at the place where hope and promise intersect with sorrow and distress. It's always near the fields where hope and fears of all the years are harbored in the hearts of humble people. But fear will not have the final word. In due time, the angel will come and say, fear not. Look, it's born unto you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen. Stand up with me. Bethlehem. Bethlehem, house of bread. 
Jesus is born in the house of bread because he is the bread of life. Because we're not saved by abstract thought. But by the word becoming flesh, flesh and blood. And now we draw near to bread and wine that we might participate in the flesh and blood. This is Jesus coming to you today. Let's prepare our hearts for this sacred encounter. Amen. Let's begin first by confessing our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's confess our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility in their ash heap ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. This is the table. This is our Bethlehem. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often, you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It's His will that those who want Him should meet Him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.